Hello and welcome back to Unlocking Markets, our RBC Blue Bay podcast series. This is where we bring you our experts from across the firm, provide their opinions on the macro environment and discuss how top-down themes help influence the way they invest. I'm Mike Reed, Head of Global Financial Institutions. Today, I'm going to be talking to Casper Hent, who is a senior portfolio manager in our investment grade team, where he is responsible for both government bond and investment grade portfolios. Today, we'll be covering a range of topics that we believe all those involved in high grade bonds should be thinking about. Investors have been focused on the actions of central banks for the past two years, and the discussion has now moved to the topic of peak rates. But added to this, we have rising global tensions with the conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East. Today, we will consider these big picture themes and also discuss how the differing dynamics across the asset class can help drive returns. So welcome, Casper. Thanks, Mike, for having me. So um, looking at investment grade, investment grade and also government bonds both suffered big drawdowns in 2022. And despite 2023 being billed as the year of the bond market, highly rated bonds have barely eked out positive returns. With core inflation sticking on both sides of the Atlantic, the Fed and the ECB have continued to hike rates and investors have been hoarding cash or buying very short duration bonds. Are we now at the top of the rate cycle? And do you think investors should be looking to increase duration? Times are certainly different now. Three years ago, um, globally, yields had been close to zero. And we had three years of consecutive negative returns um, in, in US treasuries, which we have never seen before. Now, we think bonds are for the bold. Globally, default rates are rising, interest rates costs for government and corporates are high, and especially government supply will be ample. We will see crowding out effects in financial assets with central banks continue to squeeze liquidity. Even in Japan, we expect um, yields to rise to 2% over the next two years with government debt of 250%. That matters. The path to lower rates is still uh, rocky um, and huge returns in fixed income um, are still rather for the second half of next year. But yield compensation is already high. And we think from an asset allocation perspective, um, it is the time to buy already now. We expect most central banks to cut rates next year, starting with EM and then followed by developed markets. Thanks. That's a great sort of setup to the macro outlook. Sticking with macro, Energy price rises as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine were the initial trigger for the inflation spike. We now have another conflict in the Middle East. Do you have concerns this may lead to a second bout of energy-led inflation? I would add the first and most important driver for inflation was uh, the pandemic when supply came to a sudden stop. We had oil prices falling even below zero when demand um, picked up again. To support growth, we have seen an unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus. But you're right, the second inflation wave was triggered by not directly the Russian invasion, but the uh, economic war between Russia uh, and the West with Russia cutting gas supply and damaging gas pipelines. We think that is quite important to understand uh, in light also with the recent terror attack um, on Israel from Hamas. And the prevalent reason for the timing of the attack has been the upcoming deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, to open economic ties, uh, which certainly has not been in the interest of Iran, Lebanon and Hamas. So focusing on the interest in Middle East is key 
Um, the most important economic rep uh, weapon of the region is obviously oil. Uh, but the key to Western oil prices currently holds Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia alone. They had cut their supply going into the deal uh, by two and a half million barrels per day. Um, Iran, for example, just uh, uh, produces 1.2 uh, million per day, and that goes mainly to, to China and the region. Um, so with that regard, um, we think that the risk for higher energy prices is rather subdued. Well, we're talking about demand and supply in the oil market. Let's move to the bond markets now. In fiscal spending in, is rising in the US and there have been concerns about the level of treasury issuance that we require to fund it. I mean, who's going to buy all these bonds? Yeah, the US budget deficit is certainly ballooning and indeed concerning. Um, we think that interest rate payments will be one of the largest expenses of the U.S. budget over the next years. Uh, they will rise up from $1 trillion to $2 trillion and increase by 10 percentage points as a share of overall um, tax receipts. Uh, there is hardly any room left for discretionary spending um, as an automatic stabilizer. Um, um, and discretionary spending really will become marginal um, um, to support growth. On the other hand, though, we think the market has now adjusted to the uh, very high issuance level. Um, issuance will also rise from roughly one trillion to two trillion um, next year. But you have to have in mind that there are ample of um, um, domestic savings uh, parked in money market and in, in, in bank deposits and also in stocks. Money markets have grown uh, to five and a half trillion US dollars. Fund deposits are currently at 17 trillion dollars um, and um, um, domestic stocks or uh, stocks which are hold mainly domestically of 45 trillion um, give you some buffer. Uh, for uh, for the supply to be absorbed. We expect indeed some crowding outs at these higher yield levels. Right, really interesting. I'm sticking with budget deficits and, and supply and now bringing it a little bit close to home. I mean, some observers are expressing concern about Italy now um, with its huge um, budget deficit ballooning at this moment and all the supply that's required around it. Do you think Italy can avoid a downgrade to junk status? Yes, um, Italy budget deficit is not um, ballooning in the same way as the US is. But obviously, the US is a reserve currencies and you have to look at savings, which in the case of Italy also have been very high, which is very important. Um, to understand in that regard, we had seen 60 billion net issuance um, from Italy this year, but 100 billion um, uh, retail um, interest um, where really the crowding out has been seen where Italy uh, domestic savers have sold foreign assets um, and to buy domestic um, debt. Overall, the U.S. debt uh, to GDP trajectory is actually going down. So that's why focusing on the overall uh, European fixed income market, we think it's also very important with very positive um, developments um, um, we have seen in some countries, especially in terms of debt reduction in Portugal and Greece. It stands out with a stellar recovery. Uh, that debt to GDP has 220 uh, percent um, some um, seven years ago, that has gone down to 165 percent now, and we expect it to go down to 140 percent over the next two years, when the, most of their debt will be held by the EU um, at very attractive funding levels um, um, uh, for Greece. 
Okay. So let's get a little bit more granular now. I mean, within the high grade space, and you look at both sides of the equation here, investors have a choice. How does leverage look for investment grade companies? And does the extra spread they get paid to hold these bonds over governments look attractive versus possible default risks they could be taking? Good question. Overall, we think that the clouds of a recessionary outlook will continue to darken the investors' um, investor sky. Uh, but we think it will be rather a slow process of continuous deleveraging and low demand, but sufficiently strong um, or uh, healthy labor markets um, and, and demand to keep econom the economies afloat. Investors' demands are high. Investment demands are high. Um, also in Europe and will continue to support growth, uh, which indicates also a somewhat better fiscal outlook. Uh, that means for investment grade uh, credit overall, we are indeed optimistic, but careful on sector selection. We like European banks with uh, solid balance sheets and in our view, very manageable increases of non-performing loans, but we are still um, cautious on cyclicals and heavy capital intense sectors such as autos. So looking at the different sectors that make up the investment grade world, which ones do you and your team think are attractive right now and why is that? So we like some emerging market uh, local debt where yields are still double digit, but inflation is already close to target and full, uh, fiscal policies has, been, um, um, has not been exuberant. Um, we also like, as I said, European banks on the corporate side. Um, and we think that next year, U.S. agency MBS will be quite interesting with good credit, credit quality, um, yields up to 6.5% and falling um, rates volatility. Nonetheless, with refinancing rates high, um, we are focusing uh, rather on a bottom-up analysis than on asset allocation, really. Uh, we do not like emerging market hard currency debt, for example, too much because overall um, valuations are not very attractive. But we like Romania, which has low government debt and trades as twice as spread as the index, um, to give an example for our uh, stock picking uh, at this current juncture. Well, there's a, a lot to digest there. There's obviously an awful lot going on, both from macro and micro. So we really appreciate your insights on that today. I'm sure that 2024 will continue to bring a wealth of discussion points. So thank you, Casper, and I hope you can come back on the show next year. Perfect. Thanks a lot. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. This podcast is issued by RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire RBC Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.rbcbluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended, as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and it is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. RBC Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy or completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. RBC Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast or to reflect 
contract changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but RBC Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the markets in Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined in the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchasers as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities.